how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Influenced by Madonna, Tina Turner, and Prince, Bonnie McKee always knew she wanted to be a pop singer. She's known for songs like American Girl and Sleepwalkers, but she's also the co-writer on songs like California Girls, Roar, and Teenage Dream with Katy Perry. She has additional writing credits for Kesha, Cher, Christina Aguilera, Adam Lambert, and Kelly Clarkson. Most recently, though, Bonnie's created a short film called April Kills the Vibe, where she's the writer, director, editor, producer, star, and score creator. The story is based on sexual assaults and alcoholism, along with slut-shaming and victim-blaming. In this interview, Bonnie talks about making the short during the quarantine, her transition from music videos to short films, how to direct on a limited schedule, how music videos are being made today, and the importance of finding the right collaborators for any project. Um, I started singing as soon as I could talk and um, my family was very musical and supportive of all of my creative ventures. Um, and so I decided when I was a little girl that I wanted to be in pop music. I remember watching Madonna and Tina Turner and Prince and, um, and watching MTV and being like, that's what I want to do. Um, so I made some demos when I was 12 or 13 and got a record deal and moved down to LA and been here ever since <laughs> how do you kind of think about like writing music and then also your your videos you're kind of making a transition with this short film but how have you how have you kind of thought about that in the past in terms of subject matter and what the video is going to be like and those type of things yeah um i mean when i make i've music videos are my favorite part <laughs> that was initially what interested me in getting into music um because i remember watching the music videos and being like i i want to tell a story with a picture and a song um and so when i was sitting in quarantine i just kind of uh i was thinking about making um just like a a scene for my acting reel. I wasn't really planning on making a short film. And then when I started writing the scene, I was like, well, this kind of is a standalone piece. So I'm just gonna give it a try. I'm gonna see if I can direct. I'm gonna see if I can 
right. I'm going to see how I do, you know, um, some people learned another language in quarantine. Some people learned guitar and I learned how to make a short film. So tell me a little about, so first the idea, I think it came from like recovery and that type of thing, but was the quarantine also the reason why you're playing two parts or tell me a little bit about the thinking of some of that. Yeah, um, I chose to play both parts because one out of necessity, because it was quarantine and I was worried about finding an actress that would feel comfortable coming out and being on set. Um, and also I, when I was writing the script and thinking about the different characters' motivations, um, I kind of had the realization that I have been on both sides of this conversation. I have been slut shamed and I have been dismissive of other girls that have been through the same thing. Um, just thinking about the circumstances and this and that. and. I mean, I felt compelled to play both characters, not only to learn to forgive Lola, my Lola in my life, um, but to hold myself accountable too. Um, so it was important to me to play both roles for that reason. So where, where does something like this kind of belong today? Because things are changing all the time. Some people are making a few shorts to eventually make a feature. Sometimes you're going to festivals. When you started creating it, especially in quarantine, not knowing what's going to happen next, what were your initial thoughts with where to place it possibly? I really had no idea. I'm completely a rookie in this industry, which is fun to do something that I've never done before. Um, and also to have zero expectations of me, you know, going into this, being the new kid, it's like, everyone's like, wow, look what you did. And it's not like, okay, well, it's not as good as the last thing you did, you know? Um, so it's nice to have the freedom for it to be a debut. Um, but I don't even know where shorts live. I've, I've heard that uh, some streaming services will pick them up. I just was excited to do the film festival circuit and kind of get my hands dirty and learn how it all works. Um, I would like to turn April Kills the Vibe into a series of a different name, but it's, it's the same characters. And it's um, based on my experience being a recovering alcoholic and a female in the music industry. Um, so yeah, that's the plan for it. But as far as the actual short, I really don't know. I mean, it kind of just lives on its own and I'm, I'm happy with that. I had zero expectations going into it. So I'm just proud and impressed that it got into any festivals at all. Was the, was the score the easier part for you? Was writing the easier part? What was hard and what was difficult? Maybe that surprised you before you started. Writing the script was easy. I mean, it feels like cheating because it is based on a true story. So I know how it ends, you know, <laughs> um, and just kind of recalling what happened and putting that to paper was fun. Um, I really enjoy writing dialogue and it's fun to screenwrite um, rather than songwriting because I get to keep going with the story. Whereas with songwriting, I have to kind of fit all these ideas in a little three and a half minute pop box. So it was very freeing to be able to keep writing on the page. Um, the scoring was really fun. I did it with my boyfriend, Andy Harry. He's my co-star as well. <laughs> he plays Grant in the film. Um, and it was, it was harder than I thought it would be because uh, if, I mean, first of all, the biggest lesson that I learned was that you have to have your edit locked and I was still tinkering. And so I had scored it and then I had to go back and like move the picture and then you have to take out just like one bar and then things feel uneven. So I learned a lot about how scoring works in that way. Um, but it was really fun to write, a, write music without lyrics and tell a story with the actual music. So when I wrote the score, um, I just, I sat down at the piano and I just started playing the ding, 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 ding. Um, Cause I wanted it when April wakes up in the beginning to kind of sound like an alarm. 
Um, and then the way that the melody progresses, it adds a note to every phrase. So it's the same phrase with another note and another note and another note. And it's kind of like she's recalling all of the things that happened the night before until it makes this whole melody and turns into sort of an epic, sad, tragic symphony, you know? Are there maybe directors you look to who are like, like the movie Spring Breakers a few years ago kind of felt like a long music video. Do yeah. you look to things like that for inspiration? How do you think about yes. non-traditional linear storytelling? Definitely, yes. And you know, it's funny, like my one, the thing that I learned in directing April Kills the Vibe is that um, I, I really, I've done a bunch of music videos obviously, and that's really like my passion. Um, but because it takes place in the real world, like when you're in a music video, you can be in any world. You kind of get to build the world yourself. And um, in this story, it was set in real life and it was very real and raw. And so I didn't get a chance to go into sort of fantastical visual land, which is where I would really like to go as a director. Um, but my vision for the extended series that I would wanna do for April Kills the Vibe, because it takes place in the music, in the music industry would have opportunities for music video fantasies and um, you know drug trips and things like that where we can really go into that visual world that feels more like a music video. So that's one thing that I was a little like, oh, this, this isn't completely my vision the way that I see myself as a director. I don't know that it fully had my voice, but I'm just still finding my voice. What was challenging about acting and directing? Like, did you find yourself, um, maybe especially the scenes with Grant where you're like, okay, I need to get this right, but also know what's happening over there. How did that kind of work out for you? Oh my God, that was the hardest part of the whole thing was um, not having time to watch every, every take back, you know? And so I think, should I direct myself again in the future that I have to allow time for myself to sit down and watch and make sure that I got everything I needed. Because when I got into the edit, there were certain things I was missing that I was like, ah. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to do. Um, luckily, I, I had other eyes on set that were able to sort of tell me if I got it or not, you know, but I'm just such a control freak. I really like to touch everything and see every little moment. Um, so that's one thing that I would do in the future is just allow myself a little more time to watch things back. Besides the darker tone, how else did this separate from music videos for you? And how do you see, like, where do they kind of exist today? Because MTV is not really there. Is it more about YouTube? Are people changing the way they make videos for, for shareable reasons? How has that kind of changed in the last couple of years? Yeah, um, I mean, YouTube is king. Um, I, and honestly, I guess I've heard that YouTube is where most people stream their music too. So it's not just like, you know, the Spotify's or the Apple's or whatever. Um, that's where people go to listen to music. Um, so I personally love having a visual go along with my music. Um, but as far as the difference, I mean, the budgets are so much lower now. People are just not putting as much money into them. Although I do think that a music video can make a song, you know, if you, if you have the right concept and if you do something really interesting, that can be a way for people to discover the song, um, with, you know, sharing and everything else. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's just changed a lot. I'm, I'm so sad that there is no TRL anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I said, I grew up watching MTV. I was kind of raised by television. Um, and I, I really miss that aspect. Cause I mean, people are watching YouTube and stuff. So, I mean, people spend hours and hours and hours watching this stuff on YouTube. So you would think that TV would be like, hey, I know where the eyes are. They're watching music videos, but 
nobody seems to want to play him. So I don't know. I hope it comes back. I wonder if it's like the, you know, where you control it yourself kind of with, with YouTube or something like that, if, if that's the difference, the playlist, how, how um, linked are your, if you look at all your videos you've done in hindsight, how linked are the songs to the subject matter? Or are you also thinking about, well, I want this to be different from everything else I've done. Like, how do you factor in those different creative ideas? Yeah, I try to not repeat myself when I'm making music videos. I try to show different angles and different characters that I can play. Um, yeah, oftentimes I'll have an idea for a music video and that will lead to a song. Um, and sometimes, you know, like my song Easy, I have a music video for that. It's, it's more just abstract where there's just projections on a wall and I'm dancing in front of that. And it's, it's a more kind of vulnerable song, more vulnerable than some of the other stuff I had put out. Um, so I had stripped down makeup and whatever. I think that, yeah, the look and the visual definitely needs to reflect the song itself and the content of the song. And sometimes that doesn't always happen. You know, there, there are a lot of hit songs that I've written for other artists that like, you know, I had a certain vision in my head for what it would look like or what would be perfect for it. And the music video comes out and I'm like, this doesn't look anything like what was in my head, you know? Um, but that's part of being a songwriter is that you're kind of in the service industry. So you're really just like, it's not your vision. You just write the song and then hand it off to the artist and then they fulfill their vision. Well, it's kind of the same for so you, this film you wrote and directed and starred in it, whereas many screenwriters have to pass off the script and they don't know where it's going to go or how much it's going to change. So how does that shape the writing process for you? Are you very visual when you're writing it? Do you see the actual like storyboards and those type of things? Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot actually in getting into, because I'm just learning how to pitch for a show and all that kind of stuff and thinking about who I get involved with and how many cooks are in the kitchen and do I want to star in this series if I make it into a series. Um, and the idea of handing it off to someone else to direct or someone else to star in or whatever. It's, yeah, it's scary that I could lose control of, of the vision. Um, but I'll also, I think in, in our industry, it's important to, to learn how to delegate and I love to collaborate. It's just about finding the right collaborators that you can really trust, you know? What do you think is, um, what do you like to do most right now? Are you still like, I know things are kind of still changing with quarantine and some of that stuff. Are you still prefer to be live in front of people? Do you like the more isolated solitude way of writing and like how, where do you see yourself or is it the mixture of things i when i write like people have said to me like oh you should do you know like years ago someone offered me a reality show when i was like hit songwriter girl in town and i was like that would be really boring because i would just be sitting there in silence for hours and then eventually be like oh i got it you know um so I like being alone. It's really important for me to have solitude as a creative person because when I'm, I'm a bit of an empath and so I really absorb other people's energy. And if I'm, if I have too much social interaction, I kind of lose myself. And so it's important for me to stay grounded and get some quiet alone time. Like I, I don't even listen to the radio in the car when I'm driving. I just prefer silence. I love the sounds of silence. What can I say? Cause that's when I feel like that's when my higher power talks to me. That's when I find inspiration. I have to be quiet and listen for it. How do you see um, like the evolution of your songwriting career over time? Do you look at songs from 10 years ago and not sure if they still fit? Is it more about the themes are different? What's different in your writing and that kind of thing? 
I'm really proud of the work that I've done. I was really uh, fortunate to get to work with some of the greatest artists in the world um, and producers and songwriters. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, there's some things along the way that are a little bit cringy that I'm like, wish I hadn't said that. Um, but I, I'm proud of the work that I've done. And, you know, music, pop music especially is so kind of volatile. It really is constantly changing. It's a moving target. And I think that's why I like it. I like the challenge. I like that it's not always same old, same old. There are certain like mathematical structural things that go into writing a pop song that are reliable. But as far as the sonics and the themes and the trends, it's constantly changing. And I think that's really exciting. That's why I love pop music so much. When you're writing something for yourself, as opposed to some of your paid work for other people, when there's maybe not a, a strict deadline, how do you balance between, I want, I want to do this now. Is it mainly just like a gut instinct or what makes you choose one path over the other one? You know, I've gone through phases of, if I'm if I'm having a hot streak with the songwriting stuff, you kind of just have to strike while the iron's hot. Um, and so some other things will get put on the back burner. Um, and then other times I, I have to make a conscious decision to put my artist stuff first. Uh, it's really, really hard to find a balance because they're both full-time jobs and they both take all of my brain. Um, so my work-life balance is not great. <laughs> well, what have you kind of learned? Is there anything you learned um, now that you wish you could go back and give yourself a certain piece of advice before you started writing the screenplay and making the movie? Um, I wish that I had in this short film, I wish that I had incorporated the musical aspect. I purposefully made a short film that had nothing to do with music, just to prove that I could. I wanted to create something that was completely outside of my comfort zone where I couldn't rely on the ace up my sleeve that I'm a hit songwriter. So, um, but now knowing that I want to pitch this to be a series, it would have been better to be like, this is what the series is going to look like. I just, I wasn't thinking ahead. And I really didn't understand how it all worked. I didn't understand how important and integral it would be to have this short that's like a demo essentially um, of what the show would be like. So I wish that I had incorporated the music more into it. Mm -hmm. What other limitations? Like I could see, easily see this having like a club scene. Obviously you couldn't do that because of when you shot it. What other things would you really want to have even in this short as opposed to the series? Like what, what might've made it feel a little bit different? I think, yeah, I had written an additional scene that took place in a club actually. Um, and I have, a, I have a bunch of friends that have like photo studios and stuff that have bathrooms that look like, you know, pub, like a club bathroom or whatever. And I was like, oh, I was kind of like location scouting for it. And, and I was like, I think it's too much. I, I felt like just this conversation, just this phone conversation and her waking up and her decision to go to an AA meeting at the end of the film was enough. I felt like just, as far as making it short, that was enough. Um, and that I have plenty of time to tell the full story once I make the series. If you were to give advice to young creative women today, if you were starting today, whether it be musician, film, writing, any, any of these creative paths, where might you start? Would you start on streaming platforms? How would you kind of break into the industry today? I think uh, in the beginning, and, and really throughout collaboration is really important. Um, the more people that you collaborate with on a song, uh, the more people are invested in getting that song to go somewhere. So I think it's important to branch out and uh, find people that are kind of in the same lane and learn something and create something together. And then you have a team and you're not just like a lone wolf, you know? 
So I would say collaboration is key. And um, just, I mean, social sadly are, are keying right now. Um, so I think having a presence on socials is important and does make a difference. And I mean, a lot of labels will sign things or publishers will sign things just based on numbers, which is crazy because there's a lot of record deals and shit that go on that are like, how did this happen? Like this person is not musical at all. <laughs> how did this happen when there are so many hungry, talented people that just aren't as good on socials, you know? Um, so I think putting emphasis on that can definitely help you out. Because honestly, that's, that's the window that the world has into your life. Nobody, all of these people that you want to reach don't know you exist, except for the little window on your phone where you look at social media, like that is the window into your life. So you, if you want to be discovered, you have to let people in. Do you find it like, do you consider yourself more introverted? Do you find it difficult to sometimes show that out there? Or do you kind of see yourself in the middle and like, how do you balance that with the solitude? I'm really kind of a, an extroverted introvert. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I like attention and I like socializing and stuff, but if I'm in a social situation where there's someone, there's like more of an alpha person that wants to shine, then I'll let them. I'm, I'm not, I'm never going to fight for the spotlight in that way. Um, I just, just not in my nature. I would rather be quiet, make my work and let my art speak for itself. I'm not a person that does a cartwheel into a room and is like, I'm here, you know? Um, but if someone gives me the stage, I'll take it, you know? And I, sometimes I wish that I was more extroverted in that way um, because a lot of people at the top have that, like, look at me, look at me. Um, and I just kind of, like I said, like to let my work speak for itself. You have the same kind of mindset in terms of longevity, meaning like, are you able to kind of wash things off if they if this doesn't do well i know i'm still working i'm it's a, that's a different process than the notoriety how do you kind of see those two worlds yeah i um you know in the beginning i i had this vision where i was going to be the biggest pastor in the world when i was a teenager you know and when that didn't work out i was so crushed i was so that i had made that kind of my higher power. That was my North star. Like if I can just be famous, if I can just be successful, then, then everything will be okay. Um, and that's a dangerous place to be because I cannot control how the world reacts to me. Um, and so it was important for me to like shift my focus and not let my whole world fall apart if something doesn't work. Um, and I just have to remember that I'm a creative person and I'm, there's always going to be another idea. And that's the other thing in this industry, there's a lot of like idea stealing or just like you know things are in the ether and someone comes out with it before you do and it used to crush me and now i'm just like well, i got i'll have another idea i i trust that my connection to the universe and my creativity is is always going to show up for me if i show up for it and that you know when you were talking about giving advice to to people to creatives i think the most important thing is just to show up for the work you know a lot of people are like uh begrudging because they have this dream that they want to do this thing and why isn't it happened for me and it's like you have to show up for the work um and a lot of the reasons why people don't is just out of fear but it's like what's the worst that can happen you fail failing is learning you know so anytime i fail i just try to talk it up as you know knowing what not to do next time you know wow.
Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.